You're listening to the N2K Space Network. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Yesterday and today, a lot of space luminaries from around the world could be found in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. It was the inaugural Space Debris Conference that was being held there. And not that there's any doubt from us at all, but indeed, space debris is a big enough issue that it requires its own international conference. And the cast of international players at the forefront of this issue, and global space concerns in general, continues to expand. Today is February 12th, 2024. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T-Minus. Leo Labs raises $29 million in new funding. Inspective to work with Vietnam on climate monitoring. Greece signs the Artemis Accords. And our guest today is Bryce Kennedy, president of the Association of Commercial Space Professionals. And Bryce will be talking about his upcoming boot camp in Albuquerque. And stay tuned if you want a discount code to join him for that. <laughs> All this and more, stay with us. Let's take a look at our Intel briefing for this Monday. Space traffic management company Leo Labs has raised $29 million in new funding to support commercial and government customers. The company says they'll be using this influx of cash to build out end-user applications and partner integrations, improving on its delivery of space object tracking data for customers operating in low Earth orbit. The new investment round for Leo Labs was led by GP Bullhound. And Leo Labs has also signed a memorandum of understanding with the Saudi Space Agency to exchange relevant expertise and knowledge and explore future cooperation opportunities in the field of space situational awareness and surveillance. Now, this just happened on the sidelines of the Space Debris Conference that we mentioned at the top of the show. It was a two-day event organized by the Saudi Space Agency, and it just concluded today in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. The conference brought together global voices to discuss the growing, urgent challenge of space debris, and it's also a great platform for Saudi Arabia to shine a spotlight on its own growing space industry. New Zealand has opened the Tawaki National Aerospace Center and a new runway at Kaitoriti. According to the press release, the new infrastructure coupled with technical support 
aims to supercharge Aotearoa's fast-growing aerospace sector and help meet international demand. Dawn Aerospace, Kea Aerospace, and U.S.-based Whisk Aero operate out of the site, and it's hoped that the new runway will allow them to be able to conduct horizontal space launches and stratospheric flights from the new facilities. The new runway and planned hangar facilities were funded by a $5.4 million grant from the New Zealand government's Regional Strategic Partnership Fund. Japanese Earth observation company Synspective has assigned an agreement with the Ministry of Natural Resources and Environment of Vietnam and Fujitsu Vietnam. The collaboration aims to advance the application of satellite remote sensing technology in monitoring natural resources and the environment, preventing natural disasters, and fostering economic development in Vietnam. Vietnam is actively enhancing international cooperation and investment in climate change monitoring. This includes developing systems for image data collection, databases, and applications. The country's goal is to mitigate the impacts of natural disasters and leverage space science technologies for socioeconomic development by 2030. And Greece has become the 35th country to sign the Artemis Accords. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson participated in a signing ceremony on Friday with Greece's Foreign Minister Yorgos Yerapetridis. Nelson said at the ceremony that the U.S. and Greece are longtime partners and friends, and we're excited to expand this partnership in the cosmos. Together, we are shaping the future of cooperation in space for the Artemis generation. And the U.S.-led Artemis Accords aim to support safe, peaceful, and prosperous activities in space. NASA says it has received both radio frequency and near-infrared laser signals from its Psyche spacecraft as it travels through deep space. The signals were received by a 112-foot radio frequency optical hybrid antenna called Deep Space Station 13. NASA says the demonstration shows that it is possible for the giant dish antennas of NASA's Deep Space Network, which communicate with spacecraft via radio waves, to be retrofitted for optical or laser communications. That is very cool. NASA's Deep Space Optical Communications, or DSOC technology demonstration, aims to pave the way for higher data rate communications in support of humanity's next giant leap, sending humans to Mars. The Mass Challenge Startup Accelerator Program has selected two companies to fund microgravity research in space. Symphony Bio and Fluxworks will be sending their research to the International Space Station's National Lab. Symphony Bio will be using the orbiting lab to develop a new cancer treatment that harnesses the immune system to fight tumors and prevent them from spreading. And Fluxworks aims to develop and commercialize non-contact magnetic gearboxes for use in extreme environments in a wide range of applications. The company's research will be funded by Boeing and the Center for the Advancement of Science in Space, also known as CASES. The U.S. government and Illyria recently conducted the first demonstration of the hybrid space architecture and combined joint all-domain command and control concept. Both efforts seek to internetwork commercial and or government communications-equipped assets across land, air, sea, and space to create mesh networks that are impossible to disable. Illyria's space-time network orchestration software program was used to operate a multi-vendor, multi-operator, multi-orbit SATCOM network across Secure Department of Defense and multiple commercial provider locations. 
According to the press release, realizing both capabilities ensures resilient, secure, and low-latency data communications networks anywhere on the globe. And that concludes our briefing for today. And you'll find links to further information in the selected reading section of our show notes. And we've included today's announcement from Star Lab Space on their new leadership team. Hey, T-Minus crew. Every Monday, we produce a written intelligence roundup. It's called Signals and Space. So if you happen to miss any T-Minus episodes, this strategic intelligence product will get you up to speed in the fastest way possible. It's all signal, no noise. And you can sign up for Signals and Space in our show notes or at space.n2k.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest today is returning friend of the show, Bryce Kennedy, president of the Association of Commercial Space Professionals. And I asked Bryce to tell us more about an event he has coming up to help space startups navigate the regulatory regime. We're holding a boot camp March 4th through the 7th in Albuquerque, and we're bringing a bunch of subject matter experts to help space companies and people entering the market. Um, navigate the regulatory scheme, which is one of the largest points of failure for commercial space success. And these are these boot camps have never been done. Um, I mean, outside of our organization, we're focusing on three parts: on education in the morning and training. Second part is application, which we find is super important. And then the third part is advocacy to um, allow companies and again people to understand how they can advocate for their own business and um, reach different agencies on the Hill. So it, it'll be really interesting boot camp. this one. We've, we've mixed up a little bit. Um, so f- folks who want to attend, who haven't already signed up, they go to your website, What's which they head, head over to. Yes, a- acsp.space, um, and then go under training, um, and then you'll see the March boot camp, or just scroll down on the, on the main website. We would love to offer a discount code to anyone listening to 15% off, ACSP15. And um, yeah, please sign up. It's it's a really great time. It's one of the few opportunities, and we developed it this way, where networking is super intimate with very, uh, I don't know if important is the right word, but impactful people in, in the industry. And so I encourage students and, and anyone, you know, one of the things that I, I think ACSP does right is if you can't afford it or it's just not in the... Well, whatever the reason is, please reach out to us. We always accommodate. We always make sure that no matter what your situation is, we will get you there in some fashion. So please um, don't let don't let the the price tag be the uh, the barrier. That's that's so great, and uh, that really speaks to the mission, honestly, and it's important. So uh, kudos to you all. Uh, that's that's really wonderful. This is not the first boot camp. I'm trying to remember. You've done your organization has done Desmond in DC as well. Am I remembering yeah, that correctly? Yeah. yeah. 
so this one focused on export compliance. We did this one last year in Albuquerque too. Air Force Research Labs came to us and the whole nexus was two, two parts. When I was working for the law firm, we were seeing a lot of commercial space startups fail because they didn't understand the regulatory. And then uh, Air Force Research Labs, their cyber awardees were failing at a massive rate because they didn't know how to do government contracting or export compliance. And they're like, we, we got to figure this out. So that's where that's where the original boot camp came. But then um, we got a lot of feedback that many companies didn't understand. They're like, okay, cool. I understand the need to you know, build out a, a licensing regime or export compliance control program, all this other stuff. But how do I talk to agencies? So we went to DC. We brought people in from the Hill. Um, and again, another round of subject matter experts like, okay, this is how you actually talk to the to the the agency. So it was it was like a precursor to this type of boot camp, which is it was really impactful because um, there's a whole art into that. I mean, we had a lobbyist and a guy, you know, uh, WCFO CFO of NASA come, and he's like, "This is how you speak to them." I mean, we're we're getting down to like really nuanced facts of, hey, look, Bob at the FCC on a Friday in July. Not going to be the most responsive. So you you like you got to put yourself into their shoes if you want your application, and then really keep an eye out for um, different things that will help your application move faster through these agencies. Yeah, uh, a lot of that knowledge is passed on this way. Honestly, it's a uh, that or the really hard school of hard knocks. Which uh, yeah, no, not that that's great that that information is being shared because otherwise, I mean. You, those barriers are awfully high, unnecessarily so sometimes. I'd yes, say. unnecessarily, especially if we're the U.S.'s position itself as a, a leader in commercial space. I, I get it, safety and, and whatnot, and um, you know we're avoiding cybersecurity risks and all these other things. But at the same time, you know the way I see a lot of the regulatory agencies and what they're doing is it's kind of like what the French did during World War II with the Maginot Line. It sounded so damn good. It sounded so, you know, it was the thing. It was so technically advanced at the time. And what did the Germans do? They just walked around. <laughs> just walked around it. And so it's like, while we have export compliance to make sure that other nations don't steal our IP and all this other stuff, half the time they just walk around our regulatory regime and get to exactly what they need to. I have to say, since starting this job, I have heard the Maginot line brought up more times in in, in this job than my entire life. That is amazing. That <laughs> I don't is know amazing. What... How, what about what about Rome? Here's my question. Has anyone has, has there been a lot of Rome throwbacks? Uh well <laughs> not as many as I would have thought, honestly. Okay, okay, but okay. the Maginot line has come up so many times. It's such a great <laughs> example of just complete and utter tunnel vision and like echo chamber with lack of really, you know, big picture of you know what what, what nations are capable of. So all right. So um, second topic area for today. So you had sent this one over me to me. I think this is a fascinating area of discussion. Want to pick your brain. You wrote something about infrastructure needed ASAP, which I think a lot of our listeners would agree with you. Many people have come on the show, said the exact same thing. Your head is at, sounds like, inland orbital launching. Uh, your thoughts around that. Walk me through it. Being here in New Mexico, we have this great resource called the Spaceport. But it, it has its limitations. We don't have a reentry launch license yet. Um, we can't do orbital launch. We have the White Sands Missile Range, though, so we have this totally free airspace. It's just, it's just paradoxical, but it's also part of what space is. Like you have, you have two wins and a loss type thing. Um, and so, I was reading this article. Scott McLaughlin, the executive director of uh, the Spaceport, he had come up with this idea to put together a two million dollar prize for any company that could successfully get an inland 
spe- specifically out of uh, Spaceport, FAA Part 450 launch license for orbital, orbital launch, which has never been done. Which, And what, what's so funny is, talk about tunnel vision, I've been so focused on, because I'm a regulatory guy, like on A, how do we educate people on the regulatory regime, but also how do we advocate for it to change? Scott, brilliantly enough, was he's not looking at it as a way to change it, but how do you work within the boundaries of it from a technological and engineering standpoint that makes it, I forget what the percentage is, you know, 0.99999% safe for inland launch. And it was one of the first things that I was thinking because, you know, I wrote a capstone paper in my master's program um, at Thunderbird. I've, you know, written a few articles with Space News on this type of thing. So, uh, beating beating the drums of hey we need to change our our spaceports are overcrowded you know we can only focus on the coast for so long there's a bunch of inland the states that are now in the middle of America looking for um, this and if we're only focusing you can only do it over I forget what the I should know the specs a lot better but over the ocean or, or, or whatever that is so we don't hit you know a small town that's fine but like we're really losing obviously. Uh, a lot of ground to nations that don't necessarily have those high barriers um, of safety. So um, I think I thought it was a brilliant idea, and um, and it's something that I'm going to start advocating for a lot more. Um, if if we can't change the FAA rules, then let's let's get super creative at the engineering side of how we can work within them. Yeah, I yeah, and it doesn't mean that we have to lose our scruples about safety. It's it's interesting to think of incentivizing the effort towards. Figuring out a way to do that is is a really smart way of doing it because uh, this it has to be a multi pronged attack uh, maybe attack is the wrong word but <laughs> approach. I, like it. I mean, we, we, there's only so much the coasts can do. They're quite built up in the United States unless we're talking about Alaska. Sorry, Alaska. Um, but <laughs> uh, the lower forty eight coast pretty crowded, uh, running out of space. And then you and then you have the hurricane. I know I'm sounding like a zealot for New uh, New Mexico, but it's one of the reasons I moved here. Is like the weather is exceptional. The climate allows for launch all year. I mean, it's one of these things, you know, every business that I've ever started and every business book that I've ever read, the great businesses come from a need, your own personal need and scratching your own personal itch. And and every time I've ever started a business like my executive coaching company, it started because there there was something so stupid in the industry that I just couldn't overlook it. I was like, this is, I remember when I was a lawyer, and and we were working like 100 hours a week, and I, I noticed all the, the mental anguish that we were all experiencing. I was like, this is, this is a stupid way to live. This is dumb. And it really bothered me to the point where I was like, I quit, and then I started my own company. But this is the same thing that I'm, I'm now facing or looking at with Spaceport and Inland Launch. I'm like, this is dumb that we're not doing this. Like, and we're relying on, on two areas of the country that are very small piece. It's just, and it bothers me. And so that's why... Normally, that's why I know it's a really good idea. Yeah. Spaceport America. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's already there. Come on. It's just, yeah, I know. Come on. I get it. I, <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, other parts of the country, which, you know, I would love to see spaceports built in, like weather is definitely a concern. Um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the idea of one being in Maine. But I mean, I'm in New England. Our weather's not great. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's not. That's going to be a challenge. Uh, even for the eclipse that's coming up, it's like, yeah, I have no hopes of seeing that because there's it's always cloudy. <laughs> Is it that bad? I mean, I it, it's been gray for like a solid month where I live, so it's. Been <laughs> that's, I'm from Pittsburgh, and it was just it was gray, dark gray. Gets in your it's, soul. It's like that, but worse. Is further north. Oh. It's just. Bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. 
Nah, it's fine. Seasonal depression is, uh, I'm just used to it now. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's just here all the time. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, let, we've got the spaceport. I know my producer Alice is like with you a thousand percent. She's like, it's right there. So <laughs> when, when she's going to be listening to this later, she'll be nodding her head vigorously. Okay, like, good. yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, New Mexico is gorgeous and beautiful and certainly Spaceport America is right there. So it would, would be amazing. And, and goodness, the airspace, too. Um, so I hope the right people are hearing you. And certainly you're going to be leading a big charge on this. So looking forward to hearing more about how that's going. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned, but yeah, we um, so ACSP was awarded uh, to lead the Space Valley Coalition of New Mexico. Oh, so, congratulations. Yeah, that, hey. That's why this is really ramped up in a different way, because we're uh, a consortium that is bringing together a lot of the space communities um, in different organizations in New Mexico to focus so we can really move the needle in a bigger way. And uh, yeah, ACSP was awarded that that grant as part of the Build Back Better um, fund. So that is why this is top of mind. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, watch the Space Valley. More stuff's going to be coming from that amazing part of the country. So it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, Bryce, anything else before we co- close out for today? That is it. Just remember, if you guys are interested, ACSP15 for the code um, to the boot camp. And, and like I said, if there are any, any hurdles personally or... I had one guy, and it worked out really well, that from the International Telecommunications Union, the ITU, he he reached out. He's like, the bureaucracy is so hard that I will not be able to get a ticket in time and get it covered. Would you mind giving me a free ticket? And I was like, absolutely. And, you know, I understand bureaucracy. Because of that, um, he is now one of our speakers, and he's flying in from Geneva to talk about the ITU and then the mystery shrouded behind it in terms of the regulatory thing. So it's like, to me, the more we really help each other help move the again the, the needle um and ball forward whatever example we want to give that uh imagine no line something imagine or other. how we how we can cross the imagine no line imagine together. No line. <laughs> <laughs> there you are <laughs> uh the more space will affect so that's uh, it. amazing now okay next next month i want to talk about rome somehow i want to talk we need to bring i get a, i get a bone up on that Oh, I'm I'm in. I'm so in on that. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. All right, next month it is. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Price. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. We'll be right back. Welcome back. And we are approaching a solar maximum, everybody. Our local star goes through its own cycle of activity every 11 years, and we are hitting its zenith of activity next year. As our local star ramps up activity in its own magnetic field, those of us here on Earth, all cozily blanketed under our protective atmosphere and magnetic field, we see some really fantastic auroras. And when a really big solar flare swells, while those can be so disruptive that even our planet's magnetic field isn't quite enough of a shield, sometimes we hear about radio blackouts or power grid problems from a flare. And that actually happened last week, February 9th, in the South Pacific and Australia. So expect to hear more headlines like that as we approach the solar maximum next July. And that flurry of activity from the sun takes on a much more hazardous edge when you don't have as much of the Earth's atmosphere protecting you, or at all. If you're wondering about what solar flares mean for astronauts, yes, an unshielded astronaut is very much in danger from radiation poisoning should a solar flare occur. But space stations like the ISS are themselves shielded in both how they're built and also thanks to being in low Earth orbit, so there is that. 
It's really long-term cosmic ray exposure that is the real health hazard for astronauts. But, fun fact, the magnetic force from a solar flare actually sweeps some cosmic rays away between a 3 and 20% decrease in cosmic rays over a few days thanks to a solar flare. So, in a way, those dangerous solar flares can actually make space safer for astronauts. This phenomenon is called a Forbush decrease, and there is some thinking that timing interplanetary missions to occur during a solar maximum could help give a tiny bit of extra protection to astronauts who are way outside of the protection of low Earth orbit. It wouldn't be a lot, and certainly interplanetary astronauts will need a lot heftier shielding than hoping for a solar flare. But in the harshness of space, I suppose every bit counts. That's it for T-minus for February 12th, 2024. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. And we'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at N2K.com. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Jen Iben. Our VP is Brandon Karp. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.